This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way, except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Yeah? I have good news and I have bad news. Uh-oh, what's the what, what, what should I ask for first? Well, that's up to you, really. Okay. Um I'll take I'll take the the I'll take the good news first. Okay, the good news is I have a new uh boyfriend for you and me. <laughs> the bad okay. news is he's a he's a, uh he's a giant uh worm monster with lots of tentacles and and lots of eyes, but not where you'd think. <laughs> uh but he the other good news is that he's a good friend. But the bad okay. news is he's he's horribly powerful and will destroy the world. Can I see him? Can I look at him? Uh only in Can your I look mind's at this eye. boy. <laughs> only in your mind's eye. In the what happens hours. if I get a peek at this boy? <laughs> uh you well, so here's the thing. Okay. If you see him, the world has already ended. Okay. But you also feel like eternal happiness in this moment. Uh, and whether or not you live in this moment forever or whether you live in eternal darkness is really up to the philosophers and not for us to decide. <laughs> okay. I'm glad that you took this moment to explain to everybody firsthand why cosmic horror doesn't work visually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, this is an audio medium. I, yeah. Like, what was I going to do? Draw you a picture and show it? I can't yeah. show the audience. Hey, everybody. I, let's see what the audience thinks. How did you like this intro bit, Adam? Did you like it? You I it liked it. I did. Okay, thank um, you. I will say I fell, I fell right into the trap of trying to picture that lad, but that's the opposite of what we're talking about that's, today. Yeah, opposite. Hello, yeah. welcome to The Great American Scream. Um, I'm Devin Wright. I'm Adam O'Connell, and today uh, we are going to talk about the uh, horror sub-genre of cosmic horror, Ooh, which sounds and I know what like, you might be thinking. Yeah. Oh no, they're going to talk about that that Garbo man who belongs in the toilet, H.P. Lovecraft. And it's true, we are going to talk about him, but uh, he's dead now. Yeah, and not cause... in like the death of the author way, just like he's literally dead in the ground. So we don't have to, <laughs> we have to engage with what he was thinking when he wrote it, but we don't have to engage with him. Yeah, because here's the thing about H.P. Lovecraft in the sense of cosmic horror. Um, there is no denying that his, not only influence on the genre, but basically his work invented the genre of cosmic horror um, and had a huge influence on the entire genre of horror today. Like the idea of the unfathomable, something that you can't see or comprehend, being far more horrifying than something you can see is what I think a lot of people consider to be truly scary and was a trope that was codified and invented by H.P. Lovecraft. However, that does not mean that he wasn't a terrible racist stink man because he 100% totally was. Right, um, and in fact, the the very nature of the thing that we love from his work, which is the you can't see the scary thing, therefore it is even more scary, is literally the reason that that worked for him was because what he was referencing was like a fear of people who didn't look like him. Yeah. Like it was this out, this uh, external threat to his way of life or whatever, which is super bad and stinky. And it's kind of, I'm going to take control the podcast for a second. I'm gonna yeah. rip away the outline. It's kind of, if you think about it, like the reverse of of Tolkien, because okay. Tolkien, right? So like Lovecraft, bad dude, hated people who weren't white and really hated Jewish people, uh, and he 
made this genre and people after him were like, that's bad, dude, but we're going to take your genre and make it good, actually. And they made like good stuff from it and like Mm -hmm. divorced it from its crappy racist past. Tolkien created like this, all these archetypes of fantasy with Lord of the Rings and stuff. And when when asked about like allegories or racial allegories or uh, national allegories, he was like, I hate allegories. Don't talk to me. I didn't intend anything that came from it. So he was not consciously creating any stereotypes, but people took his stereotypes and then made bad racist things out of them. And so this is like the reverse. And I just think that's super neat. Yeah. And like if we're going to talk about cosmic horror, you kind of have to talk about H.P. Lovecraft. But Honestly, I'm just going to give you the basic of what you need to know about him. And that's it, because I don't want right. to talk about him that much. We want to know just enough to be able to dunk on him. Yeah. Um. And by no means is H.P. Lovecraft or his works the only examples or things that add to cosmic horror, especially as we know it today. Right. It is quite removed from Lovecraft at this point. Um, so let me give you some context on Lovecraft before we get into the genre as a whole and why he is still the first person that we think of when we think about cosmic horror. And a hint is because cosmic horror is really hard to do. Um, yeah. And he did it well. So, uh, yeah, here we go. So Howard Phillips Lovecraft, uh, born 1890, died in 1937, was an American author um, who became known for the Cthulhu mythos or uh, the shared universe of all of his creatures and creations. Um, He grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, his grandfather raised him to not only love classic literature, but would tell him, quote, weird stories that he would make up about, quote, winged creatures and, quote, low moaning sounds. Now, 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 were the stories about low moaning sounds or did they just involve them? Because the way that my resource phrased it made it sound like it was about low moaning sounds. Yeah, there are two. Everybody knows the two scariest creatures in all of horror. Winged creatures, you know, like the Furies and uh, the Jersey Devil, our good friend. And the other scariest one, low moaning sounds. Yeah. Um, So he began to create his most known works in 1920 uh, with the beginning of the Cthulhu mythos, um, which is based on the ongoing idea of the great old ones who are these ancient and powerful deities that once ruled the earth, but have since put it into a death like sleep um, Mm. from which they are. Supposed to never awaken, but spoiler but, alert, but they do. They always do. Those yeah. dang old old ones, they never yeah. stay they never stay asleep like the way that they're supposed to. Also, this is a really cool link to this is Devin's conspiracy theory corner where I talk okay. about people who have conspiracy theories. Uh there's this uh idea that st- dumb people have where like uh because all these different fantasy and horror genres talk about like an old one or an old god or uh, a, a Satan character that they're all talking about the same character. And so, like, people with, like, QAnon are like, well, Lovecraft talked about old, old Elder God, so everybody who talks about old Elder God must also know that we're drinking the blood of children or whatever. Yeah, and Lovecraft has a weird connection to QAnon that I'll get into in a second. Yes! Um, but... <laughs> So uh, in some part of the Cthulhu mythos, these gods need to be appeased somehow, somehow through sacrifice or worship in order to keep them asleep. Um, And there's literally over a hundred characters in the shared universe of Lovecraft stories. Far too many to get into and far too many that I would like to get into. Oh, yeah. Um, 
So I just want to talk about Cthulhu, the poster boy, very briefly. Ooh, I read um, that in the outline as post boy Cthulhu, <laughs> which now I really want we have any artists there are two requests i have one <laughs> cthulhu dressed up as like a mailman okay and two there's a there's a shirt from dragon ball z that piccolo the green guy wears that is just mm -hmm. yellow and it says post boy across the front <laughs> and i want <laughs> cthulhu to wear that as well um so cthulhu is said to resemble an octopus a dragon and a caricature of a human so it's like a human body form and it's got the head of an octopus sort of like not the head of an octopus but an octopus for a head right kind it's of like uh the davy jones from yes. Pirates of the caribbean but with like less of a human face yeah and then like big dragon wings big um, dragon wings that's important make yeah. sure you get those dragon wings in there um hundreds of meters tall with um webbed human kind of arms and legs um and he's kind of the one that sort of stood the test of time of all like everybody knows cthulhu the, the everybody knows this guy <laughs> this the, guy you talk everybody. about cthulhu we yeah. all know him yeah i go down to the i go down to the pop fountain down on down in the main street and I say hey you heard of this boy and I hold up a poster with just like some squiggly lines on the head and a big eye and they're like oh Cthulhu we love that guy we love yeah. him and his and his japes love Lovecraft's other creatures like the cosmic horror like fans will know about and a lot of horror fans but Cthulhu is kind of the one that like everybody is familiar with I don't know why in particular Cthulhu is the one because he's uh, sexy next question <laughs> It's probably because uh, the the story, The Call of Cthulhu, that Lovecraft wrote was probably one of his most famous works and most well-written ones. Um, yeah. And he's also pretty well known because there, uh, in the 80s, uh, somebody wrote a Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game called The Call of Cthulhu, which I've heard is very fun. People still play it. I've never played, um, but I hear it's great. Um, and then he's also made a lot of um, like cameos and like film and TV of like gags and stuff, which like underplays it <laughs> because, you know, but whatever. The way you're talking about this makes it seem like Cthulhu, like like I was saying, is just a dude. Like he's just a dude who's around. At this and point, he, yeah. And he just like sometimes does cameos in film and TV. That's, yeah. He hasn't had a front seat in something until Lovecraft Country, the HBO show right. came out. He, and even then, he doesn't even really have a front seat. Yeah, and he doesn't, you know, he's a little bit ashamed. You know, some people have, like, bad, stinky parents who do bad things, and he kind of feels that way. So he's kind of spending his life trying to right, right those wrongs, you know? Yeah. Some of other love, of, uh, Lovecraft stories were The Rats in the Walls, At the Mountains of Madness, The Shatter, The Shatter, The Shadow Over uh, Innsmouth. The Shatter Over Innsmouth. <laughs> and The Shadow Out of Time. Um, I like all of these titles because it's a very much like a fantasy and thing of like at the blank of blank or a blank of blank or the blank of blank. Just yeah. insert whatever it you want like in there. It looks like he saw a meme on Facebook that was like, what's your Lovecraft title? That's What's yeah. It, what month were you born? What day? And then he did it with like all his friends. By the, the way, don't do those because that's how <laughs> spam accounts guess your uh, oh. security oh, information. Yeah. I that's yeah, that's true. But he did it with all the people he thinks are his friends. But jokes on him, he doesn't have any friends. Nobody yeah. likes him. Um, he also wrote Reanimator, which is not really a cosmic horror story, so we won't really be talking about it. But every time uh, I hear that I name, like I think it's like an anime about mechs. You know. There could be, a reanimator anime would be very good. Say I'm that, kind of reanimator anime, reanimator I, anime. 
<laughs> I'm kind of just putting it out there. Um, that's frankly all I want to say and all you really know need to know about Lovecraft. Because, okay. Um, because the whole thing about Lovecraft's like racism is that um, I think in the past five years, it's really come to light. I specifically remember when like the tweet or the Tumblr post about the slur that he named his cat came out and everyone was like, oh, this guy might like when look back and went, oh, my God, this and not everybody's and like scholars obviously knew that he was racist. But I think for a long like, time. Yeah. yeah. Colloquially, we all kind of reckoned with it then. Um, but so many of his themes, like not even just like references or characters or stuff that he said, but the very themes of his writing come from racist reactionary anxieties about the decline of the West and like, quote, civilized humanity falling to barbarism. That's his whole thing is that all of Lovecraft stories are about the world, not just ending, but like falling to this like primitive state. And that's deeply informed by his racism and his anti-Semitism. Um, and um, it, like, thankfully, that's one part of cosmic horror that a lot most have left behind. Like really yeah. people focus about the whole like unfathomable um, yeah. aspect. And those kind of racist and reactionary anxieties are exactly the kind of conspiracy stuff that you see on websites like QAnon. Right. I, I think that the the kind of reemergence of uh like kind of geek culture uh, in like the early or the late aughts and the early 2010s with like the re-emergence of D&D and freaking Big Bang Theory and Joe Manganiello, <laughs> you know, all those guys kind of also came with a, a revival of uh, Lovecraftian horror as a, as a kind of uh, cult following. And longtime Lovecraft fans know that he was a garbage person. And so there was kind of a rise of new people who were learning about the work and kind of idolizing Lovecraft because of the quality of his work. And mm -hmm. so there was kind of a rediscovery of all of his bad stuff. And it it actually dovetails really interestingly with the the debate around author intent and death of the author that was also happening among people who share a lot of uh, the Venn diagram of Lovecraft fans and like Harry Potter fans has a pretty big overlap. And so there was a lot of discussion about the the way we look at author intent. And there was a beautiful blog. And if I find it, I'll put it in the description about why Lovecraft being a racist and an anti-Semite is important because when you read his work critically, like you said, it is foundational it is inherently political writing. Every single piece of his writing is. And I, I think that it's uh, Lovecraft fans are kind of the best fans of modern uh, fantasy in the fact that every single person who loves Lovecraft like a lot will talk just as long about how much they hate Lovecraft and what yeah. he's good for while talking about how much they love the worlds he created and those things are in conflict they conflict with each other and they contradict each other but lovecraft fans are like yes those contradictions exist and i'm going to live with them and make them fight all the time because that's part of enjoying art critically yeah and not to like ruin hp lovecraft or lovecraftian horror i should say i can ruin hp lovecraft for you but not to oh, ruin yeah. lovecraftian horror for you because like these stories were revolutionary for the subgenre they're good but yeah 
when you look at them and like kind of it, it, it's uncomfortable to go back and look at them and that uncomfortableness is important in order to be able to leave right. behind the themes that are gross. Yeah, I think I think the phrase like ruining art mm-hmm. it, when you find out that a creator is problematic or or just offensive is is kind of lacking a lot of nuance because I think the like obviously on one end of the spectrum you have oh it was a different time which is bull because mm-hmm. Lovecraft was crazy racist even for the time. Yeah. Uh but there's definitely a middle ground where like yes, the creator was a garbage human being. The work he did was great and that is hard. That's yeah, like it a sucks. difficult thing. It's when a bad person makes incredible art, you have to reckon with the fact that that happened and that the art may still be worth it. Like not worth a person being garbage, but the mm-hmm. the art existing might be okay today, especially that the guy's dead and in the ground. Like it, it's it's a difficult subject, and I think going oh well now this thing is ruined. I'm never gonna read it again. Is you know I mean that's a personal choice for a lot of people, but I think that there's a, a critical reckoning that you can totally do. I think we just don't like in game. <laughs> we we want all art to be leisure and have no work involved but sometimes Mm -hmm. art has like mental work involved that you need to do when you read lovecraft you may be like oh it's super scary i should think a little bit about the political implications of this uh scary outside force ruining western civilization yeah exactly go like look at lovecraft critically if you do look at it um and recognize those themes but quite frankly that's like that's the most important thing about like looking at his work today. And that's all I want to talk about him. I would yeah. love to talk about um, now kind of what cosmic horror is now because it has changed from yeah. it's left a lot of those problematic themes in the past. So let's talk a little about what we see in modern cosmic horror, the kind of codifiers and the main themes. Um, and what that's what's unique about cosmic horror is that what it unites it as a horror subgenre is its themes. Um, mm. not, it's necessarily it's creatures or villains like slashers are united by story structure and villains and, um, like zombie movies are united by a creature. Cosmic horror is, um, yeah, united by very abstract be. themes. Yeah. yeah. It can't be united by characters. Yeah. Um, so one of the biggest themes that we see is like misanthropy. Um, the, 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 the general dislike of the human race and the belief that humans are insignificant compared to the vastness of the universe which is also something we see in like a lot of like space movies um stuff like 2001 a space odyssey um but it's that instead of treating that insignificance as like wonder it's treated as horror and treated as like well look how like terrible humans are even in the vast scope of like how much we don't matter look at how much we think we matter and how yeah much we suck at existing. Oh, yeah. And there's some cosmic horror that also, and it's some of my favorite, that kind of flips that and is like, we are insignificant and that is horrifying, mm-hmm. but that is also like empowering people to inherently be good in spite of it, which is also very cool. Yeah. Playing with misanthropy is definitely yeah. it's good, and man. For a lot of people, the realization of just how small we are is already horrifying. Like for some people, that might be very yeah. wonderful and cool but for others it's very scary yeah um it's, it's like being in the 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 open ocean sort of feeling um also the idea of forbidden knowledge just in general so the idea of something being literally unknowable 
or something being so horrible that knowing it induces like some form of insanity. That's probably what most people think of when they think of cosmic horror. Yeah, it 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 rings along with the misanthropy point. It rings of uh, kind of uh, religious allegory in a in a really thoughtful and interesting way of like uh like I've I've read a few I, I read some cosmic horror to prepare for this. Uh and again if I remember where I was reading stuff, I will put it in the description. Um but this idea that that really links to a lot of modern religion of giving humans significance um and how that is very comforting for people to have, whether or not um like the the further implications of 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 religion past the individual. Uh, and the forbidden knowledge comes into that because, you know, for a lot of people that start out their lives religious and become unreligious, the realization, the forbidden quote unquote knowledge in some people's minds of there is nothing after death is this is for a lot of religious people fucking horrifying. Like that is the reason a lot of people remain religious individually. And that is like totally fair and healthy for those people. And it is just like, oh, it's so it's cosmic horror is so fascinating in the way, like like we said, that it that it shares themes, not creatures. Like when mm -hmm. creatures are used for horror, they often embody certain things, and that's where the interest comes in. Of like, what does this zombie represent? What does the vampire represent? Which we've talked a lot about. But in cosmic horror, the themes are just like front and center. Like you don't yeah. even need to do the allegory bit. Which is the so villain cool. in cosmic horror is not necessarily the antagonist or like the whatever creature it is. It is the horror itself. Yes, yes, um, yes which yes. is crazy. Um, and speaking of that, like the delicateness of sanity, air quote, like whatever we consider sanity to be. Yeah. Um, how fragile it is. Yeah. And how many characters in cosmic horror are unable to comp process or even comprehend the things they witness, hear or discover and therefore go mad in some way trying to cope with it, um, yeah. which is like a little removed from actual human fears, but is scary nonetheless. Right. It, it's it's the kind of it's the thin the thin line of like if the world it, it's the idea of like if the world was a little bit crazier, I would go mad or mm. if I just knew like if the world was is that crazy and I just don't know it. Yeah. Like I just haven't been shown that yet. I think part of that, too, is that as an audience member reading or watching it and seeing a character go mad at the sight or the thought of something, the fact that like we can't go like, oh, I understand why they went mad because we can't see the thing either. Right. And and you were we talked at the beginning of the podcast about like how it it's hard to do cosmic horror visually and how it, it really works in writing because mm -hmm. you're like reading something is just thought like that's what you're doing. Yeah. And so you're reading about a character, you're you're mentally conceiving of a character who's thinking something terrifying. And so you, by being one step removed from that, you can't quite conceive of what they're conceiving of. Yeah. Which, oh, that's so good. And what you can imagine is always going to be scarier course, than what somebody yeah. can create. Um, of course. <laughs> this one's a little less, like, deep. But, like, instead <laughs> of blood and guts in cosmic horror, we get a lot of, like, viscera. We get, like, mm. goo. Like, cosmic horror is not bloody or gory usually, but we do get some goo sometimes. We do get some goo. I, I think uh, 
I, I may take over this podcast for an episode to talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion because I okay. just rewatched it again. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of cosmic, uh, most of that show is pretty cosmic horror-y. And <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a fluid that stands in for blood in that show, which is called LCL, but it's orange. And so a lot of the fans just call it Tang. And that's what a lot of the viscera in Cosmic Horror becomes to me. It's just goo. It's just yeah. the, like green glue goo you would buy at Toys R Us. Yeah. Like it's just it's just Sunny D. Yeah. <laughs> um. Back to kind of like the 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 more uh, prominent themes is um. There's also uh, a lot of the characters in Cosmic Horror tend to be somehow detached socially either recluses or they're just introverted uh, or socially isolated because they're very academic. And Mm. this is also, we kind of then kind of veer into um, a slightly like problematic trope territory of like the, the introverted academic being like, Oh, I am introverted because I am, because I'm so smart. I am above socialness while it's not because I'm just a dick. Yeah. While in reality, most of the time, like well done cosmic horror, the reason um, they are not, socially isolated because they are academic they are academic because they are socially isolated yes and they are it's uh you know it's the difference between protagonist and there are there are very rarely heroes in cosmic horror Mm -hmm. and often the protagonist is somebody that an audience certain parts of an audience are meant to identify with but not in a positive way Mm -hmm. which again is something that most media wants you to do in a positive way that you're like, oh, I identify with this guy because he's heroic and he's whatever. And in cosmic horror, you identify with the character, but you hate that you do. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, about these characters is that in a lot of cosmic horror, especially if you're going to go Lovecraftian, these characters aren't going to make it to the end, either alive or sane or both. Right. Um, there Because um, we talk about like the next point I have is helplessness and hopelessness that characters in cosmic horror are often unable to escape their fate and many just merely accept it in the name of nihilism or or whatever um and that's sometimes the only way to escape whatever like a lot of cosmic horror is a fate worth worse than death so the only way to escape it is by dying or by going insane um like i know in in, when you play call of cthulhu your whole a a tpk in call of cthulhu is usually pretty good because that usually means that you won if everybody's dead yeah the end Um, it usually means that you stopped whatever was going on. So cosmic horror is depressing and fatalistic. Um, and that's, I think what makes it very unique. Um, not in the way that like hereditary is about grief and that being depressing, but it's depressing as in like, it so couldn't happen. And yet it is actively happening in you at the same time. Yeah. Existential dread, which is one of the worst feelings just in the world and something that I think in the past, Four years and the past year, especially in the United States, a lot of people have been feeling um, it's a terrible feeling and the feeling of being powerless to change anything while the antagonist could wipe out the earth as swiftly as as swatting a fly. Yeah. Um, and I think and that's where the horror comes from. Yeah. And it's also where the kind of uh, it, like cosmic horror achieves a form of catharsis that is so uniquely powerful today like you think about like greeks going to see antigone and at the end everybody's dead and that's like so freaking heavy and then Mm -hmm. they leave and that gets to leave them and with cosmic horror it's kind of the same thing where you're like we are so tiny we are alone this is terrifying we could be wiped out in a heartbeat and then you close the book and you're like "Whew, okay 
I but then also sometimes you sit feeling. with that. Oh yeah, and sometimes you sit with it, but you're it gives you an opportunity to experience that fear in some ways a safe way. Yeah. It's fiction. Like that um, is ooh, it's so good. There's also a couple of other um common occurrences and tropes in cosmic horror, less themes, more tropes. Um usually the antagonist if you're wondering like, is this thing I'm watching cosmic horror? Look out for these. Um usually the antagonists will have some kind of cult or worshippers that are trying to awaken them. There will usually be some like charismatic cult leader or kind of like the leader of like the mad people or the insane people or whatever, um, that are right. trying to awaken the thing, whatever the thing is. Um, we see that in a lot of movies. Um Merely being near or seeing the antagonist can drive the heroes to madness. Um, and that antagonist is literally indescribable, with many narrators flat out saying that they cannot describe the horrors that they saw, only that what um, it made them feel or like sounds or smells. Uh, which as a writing tech, like as a writing mechanic, that is so incredible. Yeah, because then it also acknowledges the character's role as the narrator right. by and saying, like, I can't describe book, what I saw to you. How many times in a book does somebody describe, like, obviously they re- they recall smells, but, like, how often is that recalling of a smell scary? Like, yeah, when, like, that's like, all you get. <laughs> um, and the antagonist, uh, sometimes the arrival of the antagonist is preventable, um, but there's usually some great price to pay by dying or whatever, or you may only be able to put it off, not stop it entirely. So then the moral question comes of why do it? Like, do yeah. I sacrifice myself just to put, put off what's going to happen eventually anyway, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the antagonist is usually able to communicate with humanity somehow, but usually in some kind of like backwards, bizarre way, or only able to deliver cryptic messages, usually not com- like converse, but somehow send out messages of like, I am coming. Um, so, why is Cosmic Horror so hard to make, and why do we still think of H.P. Lovecraft first and not anything else? Uh, because in the Transformers movie, <laughs> the bad guy is like Galactus, and you can see him, and that's why it's bad. I mean, basically, basically, yeah. But like we talked about before, one of the biggest markers of Cosmic Horror is the antagonist being the unfathomable, capital U, unfathomable, like something too visually complicated or contradicting or impossible or horrifying to understand something so horrible that your eyes literally cannot process it. And I don't care how good you are. There is no creature designer in the world that can come up with something visual for that. That's the whole point of it. As soon as you see it, it becomes less scary because your brain can process it. You, No creature designer can create something that is unprocessable yet. Maybe yes. there's somebody out there again. But like not not like Guillermo del Toro can't do it. He he can do anything. He can't do this. He can't do this. Guillermo del Toro can do anything, anything else. But he can't do this. <laughs> um, if you give it a shape, it's not unknowable anymore. And that defeats the entire point of it. Right. Um, so there are movies that have done this and have done this well. So movies like Bird Box, which is simply fine. Come for it, me. Come yep. for me all you want. I think it it's is simply fine. F. Fine. <laughs> it was. I enjoyed watching it. It was just fine. Um, so Burbox does as well by never showing us the monster or the creature, even though um, uh, we we see what like happens to people after they see it. Because like if you haven't seen the movie, 
whatever they see is so horrible that it drives people to suicide upon seeing them. We never see what they look like. And we get the kind of Bird Box is actually a pretty good example of cosmic horror because we even get the kind of mad cult with the um, Greg, I think is his name, like the crazy guy who tries to make everybody see like the people that have gone mad by seeing the creatures can still look at them and they try and get other people to look. Um, And we see he has like these drawings of what the creatures look like or he thinks they look like and even then they're contradicting they don't all make sense they're kind of just scribbles yeah it goes back to the religion thing it goes to like visual depictions of angels Mm -hmm. like it very much feels like that um and it's a probably the best move that this movie does is not show the creatures and have that kind of thing which is what drives me that's the one thing that drives me crazy about a quiet place because that's a movie i otherwise love not only did they try to explain the creatures too much, but they showed them, showed them, which yeah. automatically made it less scary for me. Like, I yeah. think a quiet place, I love a quiet place. I think it would have been way better if they had not shown the creatures. Right. I, we don't I need totally to look agree. at like we don't need it. Yeah. The concept I, is already scary enough. We don't need to see them. Yeah. I have a I have a brief point because the like the nature of movies could be a very effective vehicle for something like this where you are not showing it and that's something that you follow through to the end. There comes a problem with the culture in which movies are created, which is generally Devin's leftist corner uh, uh, driven by a profit incentive. So what you have is in order for your movie to be considered successful, people have to see it. In order Mm -hmm. for people to see it, you need to market it. In order to market it, you need something about it that is marketable. And for a lot of horror yeah. movies, there is not the appetite for a movie for whom the mystery is the marketing ploy. Mm-hmm. You may think that there is because it sounds like a good marketing idea to be like, find out what it is. But the truth is nobody goes to see it because they want to yeah. know what the monster is. It's why the second half of the movie was way less scary than the first half. Right. Even the scene, like, is the scene where the creatures are, like, stalking the house and she's giving birth in the bathtub. Great scene. Excellent scene. Well done. Not as scary as the first half of the movie. Oh, um, for sure. But movies have shown the creature without showing the creature in a cosmic horror sense and have done it well. Jaws. Uh, okay. No, go ahead. <laughs> Jaws. Because yeah? the, the, the shark didn't work, so they had to show it less. And it's cosmic horror because it's a shark that's stronger than they're supposed to be. (laughs) Okay. That's not quite what I was thinking of. I was thinking more in the terms of like, so with it and Pennywise. So Pennywise, the dancing clown, scary. But we, Pennywise, the dancing clown is not its true form. Whenever we see it, we're not looking at it. We're looking at it taking the form of something else. We see different shapes or different fears or even sometimes in transitional phrases like uh, transforming into something else. But we never actually see what his true form looks like. And that's for the better, I think. Yeah, Um, I do think that it it might be better pulled off in the book. Yes. though, because it is something where. I feel like in the movie, it's it's much easier for an audience member to mistake the clown or whatever form it's currently taking as Pennywise. That's as it, yeah. The the being, and yet, like in the book, you understand fully that it is whatever is scary to you. So yeah. while the character is seeing a clown, you are seeing something different. Whether yeah, and the- excuse me, whether you know it or not. Yeah, and the only hint we get of it is when the characters look into the deadlights and they, like, check, like, they lose their autonomy, they, like, check out, yeah. which is, like, a form of, of ma- like, madness in a cosmic horror sense, right. that the deadlights, which people say is, like, its true form, 
but like even when which is why it works better in the book than in the movie because right. in the movie it's literally just lights you see the them book, yeah yeah um but we imagine that the characters are looking at something else um yeah. because it causes them to just whoom, yeah um, and it, uh, the idea of like a blank uh kind of mental checking out is a really interestingly different and effective form of madness i think as well yeah it it is interesting cosmic horror good job yeah and um the thing does this too because even in the thing we never Hell, see yeah. what the thing actually is uh we only see it transitioning in between trying to impersonate people um right. we never actually see what it looks like so that's a way to do it and also kind of not do it um and the also the 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 main reason why cosmic horror is so hard, not even from a creature sense, is that existential dread is a very hard thing to portray on film, like as an yeah. actor, as a writer, as a director, because it's so much based in the inner monologue. And we don't get that as much in a film yeah. like we and it's not just, maybe see it on an actor's face, but we don't get all of it. Right. And, and it's not just individual thoughts, which I think a lot of movies attempt to portray via mm -hmm. an actor's performance. It is the progression like you said the the inner monologue it's the progression of thought it's following one thought to the next to the next to the next being able to follow that thread is the important thing to to be able to understand dread yeah um and it, it's so much more complicated than like joy or anger because it's not nearly as tangible and it creates a different response in every person existential dread could not be a character in pixar's inside out yeah, because it can induce despair or it can induce like joyful nihilism. Like, and it, yeah. it depends. Um, I think the only movie that I've seen that does this well is Annihilation, um, which I know people Ooh. are on the fence yeah. as to whether or not that's a horror movie. But I think <sighs> Natalie I have a lot Portman. Of thoughts about that movie. I think Natalie Portman does this kind of that scene where she's like the creature and they're like emulating each other and like it's she doesn't talk to it, but you can kind of see it on her face. I think that's yeah. a scene that does it well but i can't think of any other examples of films doing this well i i really like that example though i think annihilation <laughs> annihilation is an example of remember when we talked about how there's nuance in art and that <laughs> usually when we talk about it on the internet through the lens of like problematicness that it loses that nuance man annihilation is a movie <laughs> like that because yeah. everybody was like what about oh my god Kane has it now and they're going to have a kid and they're going to be the mo and then they're going to take a it it's a movie about <laughs> grief portrayed through visual metaphor it's literally yeah. just art that you have to you're not when it ends not, it ends the it ends it's not <laughs> we're not setting up an annihilation to return of the shimmer like what are yeah. you talking about um and some other examples of cosmic horror appearing in other horror films that aren't necessarily cosmic horror films. Um, Cabin in the Woods does this and does it pretty well because it plays with every other horror trope and subgenre yeah. in the universe. Of course, it's going to dive into cosmic horror. It's pretty much headfirst in the final scene where we find, spoiler alert, um, where we find out that the reason the facility is sacrificing these people is that they're trying to appease the quote ancient ones. Right. And if they don't, the ancient ones will return and destroy the earth. And what's so crazy to me about this movie is that in the end, the main characters choose not to sacrifice themselves for humanity and instead let the ancient ones destroy the world, which is I mean, very yeah. Lovecrafting in the end there. Yeah. Um, which is so it's, crazy because they're like, they're going to die anyway. It's Yeah, crazy. but that answer, like that, that answer at the core of every, like letting the ancient ones destroy the world or putting it off for a little mm -hmm. bit by sacrificing yourself, that is like, 
the thing that you can go either way on. Like it is yeah. a it is a question to which arguments can be made both ways, which yeah. is like the best way to end your story, in my opinion. And not to like do exactly what Devin just said he hated, but like also I guess because the whole facility is dead now that even if they chose to sacrifice themselves, nobody like the next time around the facility is gone. Be so anybody. There wouldn't be anybody to do it. Right. That's yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, the final destination franchise also finally kind of does. I love these movies, by <laughs> the way, I, even the bad ones, them. even the bad ones. Um they kind of do this because the antagonist in the Final Destination films is literally death. And we never see, of course, we never see death. And the first two movies do like a weird thing where like death is like the water or the wind. But we never see it except yeah. for when somebody dies. And it's missing that un- like death is unfathomable, but it's kind of missing that sort of the yeah. characters well, reckoning with death being unfathomable. Yeah, in the original uh, pitch, it was going to be the the death from Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, but they couldn't get the rights from Cartoon Network, so they kind of <laughs> had to work around get it. They could Lamar. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, that, that, and I think the, the where it kind of veers out of cosmic horror is that they spend the whole franchise explaining how it works and like, oh, if like you save somebody else, you get moved up in the line and then it goes back around. Like they, that's the rest of the movie is yeah. them trying to figure out how it works which is not very cosmic, um, but, you know, it's there. Um, and, of course, Lovecraft Country. Uh, the Lovecraft show. Country, my favorite Cedar Fair Park. Um, well, yeah, I want to talk about that term because okay. they didn't just call the show that. That was a term that existed before the show. Um, oh, OK. Yeah, it's a trope that usually refers to a dark, twisted version of New England, only New England because that's where uh, Lovecraft based most of his stories because where he was from. Yeah. Usually Massachusetts or Rhode Island um, in towns that look boring and mediocre at first, but are often populated by hidden monsters, aliens or other things that are not quite human. Yeah, I think the, that the we've talked about this in the past that like it's also the oldest place in America. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of, of white America. So yeah. it's the place in which the most like crazy stuff can happen, especially when you think about like there was a time of early settlement where a lot of people just died and we don't know exactly how because people didn't keep records. And so like there's a lot of mystery there. There's also the like very also obvious thing that it is easy uh, to write a story about how you hate immigrants uh, when you set it in a place that is the oldest place in America, but also where most immigrants arrive yeah um but that's it we're not talking about lovecraft anymore that was it yeah because besides lovecraft the person who uses this most is stephen king right he puts it in maine but you know it's it's the same thing it's these monsters hiding in this like american town or whatever sometimes it's in upstate new york or in the pine which is always correct yeah yeah it's not there as often correct in upstate new york to be fair it's usually somewhere in the northeast um but Lovecraft Country, the show, moves it to the rural south, um, which also shares a lot of these kind of like core elements already. Um, yep. And to full disclosure about Lovecraft Country, I have not seen the whole series. I've only seen the first two episodes. I'm sorry. I'm oh really God. I'm really bad at keeping up with TV shows. Anybody who knows that I finished like two TV shows in my life. Well, and if it's only if they have like five episodes. I'm so bad finish, at finishing. You're going to have to finish Ava. So, yeah, I'm going to have to finish this. Um, um, but I do know that. Some of his monsters do appear in the show, 
And from what I've heard, although the show uses the Cthulhu mythos as kind of like their folklore, it's not necessary. It's more Lovecraftian than it is cosmic horror, probably because we see many of the antagonists kind of head on. But again, I don't want to speak too much on it because I I have not seen all of it and therefore would probably say something wrong. Um, But from what I've seen it of it it's excellent um i've heard that it like gets less excellent which is disappointing but i hope Mm. that that's not true and i enjoy it also though from what i've heard if you enjoy lovecraft country and i'm just gonna stick a book rec in the end here you will really 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 enjoy ring shout by um p jelly clark um i just finished it and i have been literally recommending it to everyone i know it is a body horror and cosmic horror and fantasy novella about three women that just wreck shop on the kkk and monsters with uh, swords and guerrilla warfare it is so uh, good uh, like you- and it's it's a novella too so like it never slows down it's like exactly the correct length it's so good oh my god please read it please read it there is no combination of words that can get me to read something as quickly as three women swords guerrilla warfare and the fact that the KKK will be at the bottom of it. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm it's, so in. It's so good. Um, please read it. It's excellent. Um, but yeah. And, and that is a kind of like, not to like bring it around, but like this story and Lovecraft Country existing based on the works of Lovecraft is an example of how we can take some of the 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 good things like writing wise that Lovecraft created and then leave the more problematic aspects of it in the past, even though some of those problematic aspects were kind of a core aspect of it, it is still right. possible to leave those. And to not only leave them, but to create with them in mind. Yeah. Like to take Lovecraft Country and set it in the South, set it with people of color in main roles. And mm-hmm. set it with a white supremacist organization as the enemy. Yeah. That is not, that's not leaving it behind. That is taking it and confronting it, which is what Lovecraft fans be doing all the time. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and I think that's, that's, that's a nice kind of like finisher for it. Yeah. Uh, read that book, please. And do tell me if you enjoyed it because it's so good. <laughs> Yeah, read that book. Also watch uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. We'll probably do an episode about it in like two, three weeks. It's all on Netflix. I'd recommend the sub, not the dub, because the dub uh, is fine, but it's just it's by Netflix and it's not as good as the original. Uh, So do that. Also watch the movie End of Evangelion, which is very important to our eventual definitely happening episode. This has been The Great yeah. American Scream. If you enjoyed, please leave a rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. You can also tell a friend about the show. It's the best way to spread the word. And Adam, can you pimp our social medias, please? Yes, you can check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream or more frequently on Instagram and Twitter at Great Scream Pod. Um, let us know your favorite cosmic horror stories, movies, other good examples um, that you have seen or really enjoy, uh, especially literature. Um, and read ring shout tell me if you like it uh you can tweet at us or posting uh post by using the hashtag tgas and as always um if there is something that you would like to hear about on the show let us know because your suggestion may become the subject of a future episode yay special thank you goes out to michael segudo who does the intro for the show as well as stevie viola who does the intro nacho music and we have a patreon at www.patreon.com slash great scream pod you can get tons of great rewards there. Adam posts the outlines all the time. 
Uh, we do polls monthly. Uh, people suggest episode uh, topics, and it's a really fun time. Yeah. So they and I've to- been really enjoying chatting with y'all about um, just like the things that we talk about. Like oh, that's yeah. been great. It's been really fun. And really, thank really you fun. again so much for for supporting us there. Um, it really helps out. It helps us keep the show running. And it's really we love talking to y'all. So yeah. So thank you to our current patrons: Ben, Eric, Casper, Bree, Gail. Joyce, Brucker, Melinda, and Chris. I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. Oh, it's Cthulhu. (laughs) Sorry, I wasn't going to say say anything because whatever our listeners imagine is going to be scarier than what I came up with. But no, Cthulhu just, I I called him a little bit ago and he's here now. He is late to the show, but subscribe on Patreon. Dr. Zoyberg. That's him. Do it. Do something safely. I guess. <laughs>